You may be seated. My parents have enjoyed putting puzzles together, and you know the type puzzles uh, to which I referred, the one, ones that come with hundreds of pieces, and you spread out all the pieces on the table, and then you painstakingly take each piece and find this specific, the only place it can go, and they just love doing that. And it's amazing that as you look at all those hundreds of pieces of individual parts spread out on the table, that the goal is to take those individual pieces and to create one whole, one complete puzzle. And I take what the Apostle Paul is, is teaching us here in Ephesians chapter 2 being a similar type of thing. In verses 1 through 10, we consider the Apostle Paul individually declaring that individual sinners once were dead in trespasses of sin, then were saved by grace through faith in Christ, and created as an individual new creation. And now today in verses 11 through 16, or 11 through 18 rather, we find the Apostle Paul following that same pattern, except he says corporately, you were aliens to Christ and to each other, and then corporately you were reconciled to God and to one another, and, you have, and the two individual have been brought together to form... One new man, one new humanity. And the main point that I want us to think about today in light of what the Apostle Paul tells us in this passage is that the salvation of one individual sinner is an incredible thing, a glorious reality. But God has something greater in mind to create a new humanity a new society. Let us pray. God, our Father, we ask you to so open our hearts that we might hear all that you would have for us in this passage of Scripture before us this morning. I trust you, O God, to guide my words, that you would open our hearts, that you would teach us and conform us to your word we, we depend upon you, O oh God, the Holy Spirit, as we come now before this passage of Scripture from Ephesians 2. In Jesus' name, amen. The Word of God. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11, call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, 
so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of our Lord. The outline is very simple. It follows the the logic of the passage. Alienated from Christ and each other. Reconciled to God and each other. Created as one new humanity. We were individually spiritually dead, verse 1. And now in verses 11 through 12 and verse 17, Paul says corporately, We were alienated from Christ and from each other. If you listen to the news, uh, these many news reports reminds us of how deeply divided our country is. There is alienation economically. There is alienation politically. There is alienation morally. And this should concern us, but it should not surprise us. As we look to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there just after sin came into the world through Adam's transgression, we learn that there now, as a consequence of the fall of man into sin, enmity, hostility between sinner and God and between people. So we should not be surprised. And the Apostle Paul acknowledges this reality in these first few verses of our passage today as he speaks about the Gentile Christians were at one time far off, alienated. And he also speaks of the fact that the Jews were near, but here's the important point to capture in this passage. The Jews were near outwardly, but inwardly, they were as far off as the Gentiles were. They were alienated as well. Let's look at the Gentiles. They're miserable estate. I mean, can you think of a, of a clearer way to show how miserable the estate of the Gentiles were before they were converted to Christ there in that, that church in Ephesus? Look at what the text says that they were separated from Christ, without Christ. They were alienated from the nation of Israel. They were outsiders. They were strangers to the blessings of the covenant community. They had no hope, Paul says. And then he says, just to top it all off, they were without God. I love the way Dr. Hendrickson, this is a wonderful commentator on God's Word, the, the, the way he describes this, he just simply says... The Gentiles were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. They were indeed far off, alienated. Have you ever been lonely in a group of people? It doesn't make any sense, but I've actually experienced being in the midst of people and feeling alienated from any meaningful relationship. And I think at some level we understand what it means 
to feel alienated, to feel like an outsider. The Gentiles were so near and yet so far away. Just like you and I can be so near a room full of people and yet feel so far away from being included. In fact, the Gentiles were so near the the center of life of the nation of Israel that there in the temple, there was a low kind of lattice work wall that was called a sorig. And it delineated the outermost area of the court of the temple, the temple proper. And on that wall was an inscription that basically said this, Gentiles will be put to death if they take one step beyond this barrier. They were so near that there had to be a warning to keep them out of the temple. So close, but yet so far away, alienated. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul tells us why they were alienated. Because the Jews called them, in verse 11, the uncircumcision. Of course, this is referring to the Old Testament rite that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. The outward sign of being an insider into Israel. The sign of circumcision in the flesh. It was a physical sign. And they were called the uncircumcision because they did not bear this sign. They were viewed as outsiders. They were viewed as unclean. Jews could not even associate with them. They were not the ones who would benefit at all by the manifold covenant blessings. They were in this miserable state. They had no hope of divine blessing. They were the uncircumcised. If you really want to alienate someone, just give them a good old-timey label, right? And the Gentiles were labeled in their flesh outsiders, excluded. They were not only uncircumcised externally, they were uncircumcised inwardly. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and Paul in Romans chapter 2 say the same thing. They both speak to Israel who had physical circumcision and saying true circumcision is not outwardly of the flesh but inwardly of the heart. It refers to what we would understand from a New Testament perspective as regeneration. That's true circumcision. And it's interesting that both Moses and the Apostle Paul make note of this. And so the Gentiles were doubly excluded. They were excluded because they lacked outward circumcision. They were excluded because they lacked inward circumcision before coming to Christ. They were dead in their sin. They were alienated from Christ. 
And they were alienated from the Jews. And likely they were alienated from other Gentiles. <laughs> because of what we read in Genesis chapter 3. Let's leave the Gentiles. Let's look at the Jews. The Jews were just as alienated. If you look at verses 17 and 18, you'll find the Apostle Paul saying that Jesus came and preached peace both to Gentiles and Jews, inferring that the Jews did not have true peace, that they needed Jesus. And then when we look at verse 18, there the Apostle Paul speaks of the fact that for through him we both have access in one spirit uh, to the Father, implying that the Jews needed Christ to be the true people of God, to have access to God. It wasn't a matter of outward circumcision. It wasn't a matter of being an insider outwardly. It really was a matter of circumcision of the heart. And what's interesting about this passage and what we have to understand is that the Gentile and Jew were both alienated from Christ at one time. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 4, the prophet there brings an indictment against faithless Israel. And basically what he says is this. You are trusting in your outward circumcision. And because of that, you are in actuality outside the kingdom of God because true circumcision is of the heart. And so the, the Jews actually were alienated from Christ. They were trusting in the outward sign. The Gentiles were alienated because they did not have the sign. You see, in one sense, both Jew and Gentile before Christ had the same problem. Lacking true circumcision that is of the heart. Paul calls us to remember the way we were individually dead in sin, verse 1. But he also calls us to remember corporately the way we were as a group of people, a corporate people of fallen humanity, alienated, Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, godless. We were far off. God saved us as individuals in verses 4 through 9. But we also find a corporate reality of salvation in verses 13 through 16. The way we were is bleak, and yet God has worked. Well, I mentioned the alienation in our country political, economic, moral, and I'm sure there are scores of other ways that we're divided as, as, as a nation. But it's interesting that, that the, the remedy for political alienation is to change the policy, right? And the, the remedy for economic alienation is to bring in more jobs and improve the economy. And the remedy for moral alienation is we just need to be more tolerant, of those who have a different moral persuasion than, than we do. 
And all of these outward remedies may help, but they also typically hurt. (laughs) But they certainly do not address the real deep problem, which is a problem of the heart. Changing policy, a better economy, and being more tolerant of others' moral views will not bring peace to relationships and certainly will not bring peace between a sinner and God. But there is something that will bring peace, and Paul talks about it in verses 13 through 16, and it's, it's the inward work by the blood of Christ and through the cross of Christ that radically changes us on the inside and brings true peace and reconciliation. Another amazing thing about these verses in chapter 2 is that, remember we made much of chapter, verse 4, but God, and here we have another but God in verse 13, but it's but now in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's something that's going to happen that is going to change this Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, godless, miserable estate of alienation and reverse all of that and bring about reconciliation and peace. The the Gentiles who are described in verses 11 and 12 as being far off And the Jews who are described in verses 17 and 18 as being near outwardly but inwardly as far off as the Gentiles were. Those situations are going to be changed. Both are going to be brought near to Christ by his blood. Both are going to be brought near to to one another by being reconciled. In verse 13, we see the remedy is the blood of Christ. In verse 16, we see the remedy is through the cross of Christ, all referring to the atoning work of Christ that reconciles and brings true peace between people who are alienated and between people who are alienated with God. In verses 13 through 16, that that saving, atoning work of Jesus is of the same nature as what Paul talks about in verses 4 through 9. It's the same grace, it's the same work that saves the individual and also brings about this corporate aspect to salvation. And the result of Christ's saving work, that inward work of grace, has an unbelievable outward dimension to it in bringing peace and reconciliation to God and to each other. The enmity of Genesis 3.15 has been overturned by the blood of Christ and through the cross of Christ. In verse 16, Paul speaks about the fact that through the cross, hostilities between Gentiles and Jews have been, and he uses this word, Put to death, a very strong statement. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For he, Jesus, is our peace. And it seems to me like what the Apostle Paul is saying by using our peace is that Paul, as a Jewish believer, 
speaking to a largely Gentile Christian audience there in Ephesus, is saying, brothers and sisters, Jesus is our peace, Gentile and Jewish Christian alike. There's no difference. We have the same problem, and, the, and Jesus has solved it. The same Jesus has brought peace and reconciliation to us. And I just love that, for he himself is our peace. And because of that, we are no longer alienated to God. We're no longer alienated to one another. And the way he accomplished this, we learn in this passage, in verse 15, is that that dividing wall that I spoke about earlier, there that separated the temple so the, the, the Gentiles would be excluded and kept out, Jesus says in verse, or Paul says in verse 15, that Jesus came and destroyed that wall, broke it down by his blood and through his work on the cross. And so that which once divided no longer divides in Jesus. And when Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus abrogated or abolished the law and its ordinance, he's referring there to that, those portions of the Mosaic law that, that dealt with the ceremonial law and the civic law. So the rite of circumcision, the dietary laws, the ritual purity laws, all of those, those laws that divide, divided people from the nation of Israel. Jesus upheld the moral law, but he abrogated the sacrificial and ceremonial law. That has all been put to death. Jesus fulfilled all of that. And now... There can be peace and reconciliation between Jew and Gentile in Christ. So this is why Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 6 that for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything. It doesn't matter. All that matters is faith working through love. You know, a policy change cannot kill the political hostility that is in our land today that divides people. More jobs and a better economy will not solve the, the root problem of economic alienation that is in our land today. And we can all pull up our bootstraps and be just as intolerant as we possibly can be, and that is not going to deal with the moral divide and bring peace to our land. I can just tell you that, 100%. But Paul is saying, remember, by Jesus' blood and through Jesus' cross, all of those things that divide people have been put to death. And there can be true and lasting reconciliation and peace. And we need to remember and we need to trust in what Jesus has done in our hearts individually and corporately as a church. And I would like to ask you just to look around. I get to look at you all the whole Sunday morning. But do you ever just look at one another? Just look at one another. Seriously, look around. I mean, I'm not kidding. Jesus is our peace. 
Jesus brings peace to my relationship with you and your relationship to him. Jesus has reconciled me to you and you to your wife. He is our peace. And it's a peace and a reconciliation that will last. And we need to remember that. And rest in that. And revel in that. And rejoice in that. We were individually created as a new creation, verse 10. And corporately, we've been created as a new man, a new humanity. A church. Verse 15, Christ creates this new humanity. And don't miss this. Christ creates this new humanity. He brings the two, Gentile Jew, and makes them one, a new humanity, in himself. Absolutely critical to understand this. Why? I hear all the time, let's be unified. Let's work for unity. Now, I'm all about unity. But, but even in... In Christian circles, when lots of times when people say, hey, let's, we need to work for Christian unity, it is not true unity. They're just saying, hey, listen, we just need to set aside all those things that divide us, all that theology, all that religious stuff, and we just need to come together and be one. Unity for the sake of unity, that's not the unity the Apostle Paul is talking about here. That is a uni- unity with the end goal being unity. And what, what, what Paul has told us here is that the two have become one in Christ, meaning that true unity is rooted and grounded and based on and flows from Jesus' person and his work according to the Scriptures. True unity is based on truth. It's based on right understanding of who Jesus is. And his person and his work is so powerful and sufficient that two enemies come together as one. You think about all the division that you see in our world today, in our country today, in our churches today, in this church, in our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, with our parents, at our work. There is so much alienation. And it seems as though unity is impossible. But now Jesus... He's done it. He has brought peace and reconciliation and the most hardened enemies in Christ are one. I really not, did not care much for a high school classmate of mine. I will not name him. And I discovered that we had enrolled in the same college. And the college, the university was big enough, I thought, well, 
This is an easy fix. I can just avoid him. He came to Christ. And we became the closest of friends. That's just a very small example of what Christ can do. In bringing two people that are at odds with with one another together. Think of a brother or a sister you may be at odds with. And don't lose hope. Jesus has already won peace. He has already worked reconciliation. Just humble yourself, repent, and flee to him. And be as you are created to be. One people in Christ. You know, the, um, the sad reality is that Christians can be divided. So what has Paul told us in in this passage today? He's basically told us this. He's taking the work of Christ and applied it individually in verses 1 through 10, and now he's applied it corporately in verses 11 through 18. And he has said that his great agenda is to take alienated people and by his blood and through his cross bring peace and reconciliation to their lives and create a new humanity in himself, the church. And it is just simply inconsistent for someone to be truly united to Christ and alienated from a brother and sister in Christ in the church. It's as simple as that. Any disagreements? My my implication, application is very, very brief. If the Apostle Peter who was united to Christ in saving faith can be inconsistent in the Galatian church by putting up that that wall that Jesus destroyed once again and saying that I will no longer associate with Gentile Christians out of fear for being called uh, bad names by the Judaizers. That was, the, that was the Galatian problem. The Apostle Peter just erected that old wall that Jesus tore down right up again. Apostle Paul came and rebuked him terribly. And here's my point. If Peter can be inconsistent, united to Christ, and, and, and build a wall that alienates him from others who are united to Christ, we can too. And so my encouragement to us is to fight for the new humanity that Jesus has created in himself. I don't know what walls you may have put up between yourself and another brother and sister. It could be a political wall. It could be um, 
you know, a, a wall that might say, I practice the Christian life at a higher level than you do, and I'm more spiritual than you are. It might be the way we raise our children. It might be the way we worship. My worship style is better than your worship style. I, I don't know what it is, but we need to fight against erecting a wall that divides. Let's not even think about the church universal. Let's just think about Covenant Presbyterian Church. We need to fight to keep that wall where it is in rubbles because Christ has destroyed it. Now, you know as well as I do that we all have our differences. I doubt you disagree with me on anything because I'm so right, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. We have all kinds of differences. Just come to a session meeting. But when the difference divides, that's the problem. And brothers and sisters, in reality, that wall, we can never really rebuild what Jesus has destroyed. Because when he destroys something, it's destroyed. And so I'm somewhat talking metaphorically here, but... In effect, we can put up barriers that alienate us from other believers, right? And Paul said to Peter, who put up a barrier that, that alienated him from other Gentile Christians, the Apostle Paul said to Peter, I'm just simply going to be blunt with you. Peter, be damned. Now, if you've ever thought, is, it, is, is unity important? Is fighting for the new humanity in Christ Jesus important than just simply read the book of Galatians and the strongest language I think in the Bible is the Apostle Paul rebuking Peter saying be damned by following a gospel that is not the gospel at all. And brothers and sisters, we need to take that seriously. We need to fight for who we are in Christ corporately. One new man one new humanity, the church of Jesus Christ. What a blessing, what a glory, what a cause worth fighting for. And you know where the fight really is? The fight really is in our hearts being humble and repentant. with regards to the ways that we've erected barriers that alienate us. Jesus has done a great thing by saving individual sinners. No doubt, praise God. But he's done something even greater by creating a new society in himself, the church. Let us pray. Father, I would ask you to work your grace and your peace and your reconciling power in and through every individual piece of this church. Remind us who we were. Remind us what you have done. Remind us who we are like those individual puzzle pieces being put together to create a whole. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing you have created in bringing different 
individual pieces together to make the church. And I pray, oh God, that you would cause us to value it and to cherish it and to fight for it under your sovereignty and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.